Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of About Abroad, where it's my job to introduce you to people who have built amazing lives for themselves in various foreign corners of the globe. We're talking with expats and thought leaders about moving abroad, remote work, visas, and all the fun and practical knowledge that you need to know to follow in their footsteps. If you've ever dreamed of making a life for yourself overseas, maybe working remotely or embracing long-term travel, retiring or studying abroad, or even just taking a peek inside life beyond your borders, you've landed in the right place. My guest today is a friend of mine named Aura Lee, who's joining us all the way from Dubai, but she is originally from France and has actually lived in a handful of countries around the world. So we talk a little bit about that, some of the other places that she called home prior to making the move to Dubai, but really we hone in on what life's like there in this city that she's fallen in love with and sort of the backstory behind how she got to be there. Because like a lot of people, she hit on some rough times during the pandemic throughout the last few years and really just needed a change. And and she found that change in Dubai and taking us through the process. It's actually a pretty easy one if you were interested in moving there. And it's really fascinating to learn how someone that's an expat could settle into society there. So I was really intrigued by this conversation. I loved getting to catch up with Arlie and I think you all will enjoy it as well. So please help me in welcoming Arlie to About Abroad. Aurélie, bonjour. Welcome to About Abroad. How are you today? Bonjour. Well, the, the local way, salam alaikum. Salam alaikum. I'm, oh, yeah. I've something already. Here we go. Second number two. Yeah. <laughs> well, off to a good start. For, for those of you listening and haven't read the show notes uh, yet, Aurélie is from France, but currently living in Dubai. So we're going to learn a lot about one of the most international cities in the world today. I'm super excited about that. But first of all, just how how is life? You're, you're fairly new in, in Dubai, correct? I am. Life is good. We were, you know, we're just kicking off the winter season and Dubai has like 22, 25 degrees during daytime. It's something around 80 for the Fahrenheit friends. I think it's some, somewhere around 80, right? Yeah. You know how I remember this? I have one trick because I'm still, I've been four years in Spain and lived in Celsius countries for a while and I'm still bad at it. I just can't get Fahrenheit out of my mind. But 28 is 82, 2882. So you can always use that as a baseline and then go up and down from there. That's something I'm going to reuse. Thanks for that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's all I'm good for today. That's the extent of my useful knowledge. Uh, it, the, the rest of it will probably come from you. But yeah, that, Dubai doesn't have the freezing cold temperatures of, of Europe, huh? It could be in the in the desert. Sometimes it freezes a little bit and uh, everybody, everybody freaks out when it's happening. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I can imagine people driving on the roads in, in Dubai when there's when it gets a little chilly. Uh, I, I grew up in North Carolina in the US and uh, in the South of the US. And but we have mountains there, you know, and it snows some. And when it snows, like even like, you know, a couple centimeters, it's just like all hell breaks loose and people don't know how to drive and schools close. And so when people come from the north to there, they're always like, what is going You guys don't know how to drive in the snow. <laughs> well, try and rain in Dubai. I haven't experienced it yet, but apparently it's some interesting adventure as well. You haven't experienced rain yet? It hasn't rained in a year. Wow. What? Yeah. That's... It hasn't rained. No. Well, some drops but it lasted like 10 minutes. Do you miss the rain at all? Is there any element that's like, oh, I'd like to see it? No, not at all. No. So, uh, you know, fun story. I've been to Miami end of 
2021 for a conference. And um, I think I probably was the most unlucky girl ever because it kept raining, but like tropical, very heavy rains. And I think I have enough rain for the next two years. Yeah, I actually was born in Miami and spent a good bit of time in my life there. And during the summer in particular, there's like every single day, just like a tropical storm that rolls through in the afternoons and just pours rain. And and you, you see the, you know, Miami's like you think sunshine and beaches and stuff, but like you have to be ready for the harsh weather as well. I wasn't. No. <laughs> so this, what I find really interesting and like for, for a bit of context for people listening, like Arlie and I know each other through professional careers, which we might touch on a little bit today. And, and I know that she has recently made the move to Dubai. And, uh, but, but I really don't know much more than that. So I will be learning along with you guys because I'm genuinely very interested in Dubai itself, what it's like living there, but also I think for the audience, you know, why you chose Dubai and then also like the process to get there. So I'm eager to get mm. into all this and I'll, I guess I'll just start with the why. You know, how did you arrive to a point where you decided, okay, I'm going to make the move from from France to Dubai? What's the backstory there? It's an accident. Most most fun stories start like that. Exactly. It's I would say it's a, it's a human journey that led me here. What what was on my mind because one country has my heart, it's Colombia. Maybe we'll touch that a little bit later. Colombia is not the, the topic today. But just, just like you, Chase, you know, I've spent time working abroad, uh, working while traveling, and I had a massive crush on Colombia. And I always thought, okay, one day I'll live there. Uh, a little virus came in the way. Mm. I've heard of this. Yes, whatever. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not going to give too much credit to that virus right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, we won't even say the C word. No, 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 no. This is not part of my vocabulary anymore. <laughs> so you, wait, so if I understand correctly, you had pondering the idea of going to Colombia, but the C word got in the way and so plans changed. Exactly. It got a bit in the way. Uh, and I always, because 50% of the time, my job uh, led me to different countries. Like every month I was going to at least two or three different destinations, mostly in Europe, because I was running a lot of events, workshops. So these are the types of things that make you travel. And I, I, I kind of wanted to live like a proper, more like either slow travel or expat experience somewhere in the world. And this is, this was a bit where my mind was at. Then this happened. My, my business took a huge hit because of the nature of my job. It started like everyone in March 2020. Mentally, I wasn't in a very good space. And a friend of mine who lives in Dubai that I've met as well through my professional career, he reached out and he said, you know what? Uh, you don't sound very, very good. Why don't you come to Dubai? Dubai is open. I've moved to a new place with my wife. We have a spare room. It's all yours. Book your flight. Come see us for a week or two. I think it's gonna, it's gonna be very beneficial for you. And I was like, you know what? Let's do it. I knew Dubai. I was there. Uh, I've been there twice before for work. And I think on day four, the French president announced the second lockdown in France. And back then it was November 2020 then. And I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> no, I just don't want to do that because uh, for our listeners, um, I don't know how familiar you are with how it was in France, but it was pretty strict. E even though they announced it would be a bit you know, more flexible. I was like, just no. So I took a look at my savings account 
I took a look at my pipeline that wasn't very glorious, but I was, hey, you know what? Now I have a decision to make and I choose me. I choose my mental health. I was feeling good in Dubai and I started to see aspects of the city that I did not know, that I had not come across in my visits in the previous years when I was there for work. Like what? Anything in particular that jumps out? Yes. Uh, one thing in November in Dubai, it's been three years now, there's a massive event that is called Dubai Fitness Challenge. Uh, it's a government-led initiative aimed at getting people to move like 30 minutes every day. They've built three massive fitness villages in the city for free. And anyone can come and register and just come and attend classes. It's free, even for tourists, for visitors absolutely free. Um, and this year, they even had, had a village at the expo, on the expo site. So this is one thing I thought, this is really cool. Um, like free classes, unlimited. And it's not really the idea that you would have of Dubai because the, the cliche, let's say it, it's really five star, it's luxury, it's uh, fine dining, it's a bit artificial. That's the cliche. That's, that's what one would think to be, to be honest, right? But we're here to break the cliche because there's way more to that. So this is the first thing I experienced. Then I knew there were a lot of expats, but like 80% of the city is expats. Wow. So I met, yeah, it's huge. How many people are in Dubai? Like, like roughly 80% of, is it millions? I, I have like no idea. Yeah, I think across, if I'm not mistaken, uh, so please don't, uh, don't hold me accountable for that. And no. please in the audience, Audience, forgive me if the number I didn't do my research this, this before is that. Like Jeopardy, you know, I have no idea, like zero, zero clue. People, what the people are gonna tag me after that. No, you are wrong, woman. I believe in the UAE, it's approximately ten thousand. Okay. And you know what? We are live. It's very spontaneous. Let me do a quick Google search, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Three point three million in two thousand nineteen, according to Google in wow. Dubai Emirates. So we're talking like eighty percent of. I mean, that's that you're literally talking about millions of expats all living in one place. That is super yes, cool. It's really cool. And so many different backgrounds. You know, I started to meet friends of friends of friends of friends. And it's because everybody's so far away from home. It creates something very welcoming and it's easier to actually go and get to know people. I also, you know, I'm really into fitness. I, I love this. Well, uh, obviously, I've just explained about the Dubai Fitness Challenge. But other than that, it's a super easy way. And even in general, even if you're traveling or if you're in a place temporarily, the gyms or fitness is an amazing way to get to meet people. Absolutely. I 100% agree. It's it's one of my major social outlets is going to my gym. I, I do CrossFit. It's a small team of people. I'm in, I'm in there with 12 other people every single day. And normally, like even in a small city like here in Valencia, I go to one of my classes, there's four, five, six different countries represented um, in just a small it's class. It's so cool. It's so yeah. stimulating. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I started to feel very comfortable. And then genuinely, friends of friends asked me a little bit about, about my professional career. And they were like, that's so cool. So you work remotely. So that's why you are able to stay in Dubai and you're extending and extending. And I said, actually, yeah, because I'm, uh, I've created a location independent job. So wherever I am in the world, it's just the time zone, basically, that I need to navigate. And my delivery 
deliverables for the client. Uh, but I had challenges, obviously, because of the, well, let's say it once, COVID. It snuck in. Yeah, exactly. COVID exactly. prevails. Okay. And they were admirable and genuinely wanted to help me. And they were like, okay, so what's your situation? So I explained, it was like, yeah, challenges, because in France, when you are self-employed, you pay tons of taxes. Like it can go up to 60%. It's 60. huge. It's six zero for, for those of you listening, 60%. Wow. It's huge. So you basically sometimes wonder why you wake up in the morning. Like you love your job, but like, wow, <laughs> what stays in my pocket? It's not much. And so those people told me, are you insane? <laughs> so I was like, what do you mean? And they said, haven't you looked at other options? I mean, we, we could help. And yes, I, I had in the past, a lot of French people have their HQ in London, for example. But with Brexit, that was not an option anymore. It was a bit too risky for me. Then I looked and I know they you had them as guests and, and supporting your 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 podcast so this is how it's an interesting coincidence estonia i looked at this as well and the problem is the french government is very clever and they there's always some caveats and they clearly mentioned that if your own government decides like something else it overrides what you would do in other countries. So, so if you st if you set up your business in Estonia, which is the, what the e-residency program of Estonia allows, uh, you can form your company in Estonia, and that has benefits for certain people from certain countries. But in your case, the French government says, "Yeah, that's fine. You can do that. But if you do, then there's a chance that we could override that at some point, and and then it's null and void. So, yes. it's it's kind of it's a big risk in your case to." To do that, you can do that. It was a risk. Yeah, got you. Exactly. So you know, and those friends of friends actually told me, "Have you have you checked what they're doing here in the UAE?" And I have no clue. And they they told me, "Take a look at free zones, all those stuff." So I started my investigation, and I found out that you can very easily set up a business as a foreigner, hundred person owning it. Because back then, in the times where this didn't exist, such programs did not exist yet. You had to have a local owning 51% of the business, like acting as a sponsor, if mm. you will. This is over. And I did not know that. So I started to take a look at this. I, I even found out that uh, if you are self-employed woman entrepreneur, you get a discount. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah, they're really trying to attract talent and, and they want to attract women as well. Uh, they, 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 they're, they're full steam on, you know, equality and female empowerment. There's a lot going on in the UAE. This is, might be kind of shocking for, I mean, it is, I'll admit it's shocking for me to, to hear that because I think, you know, we talked a minute ago about the, the cliches and stereotypes and there is a stereotype and this is, this is not my opinion. This is, this is just what, I've had other people on the show before that have spent time in the Middle East. And actually, I think all of them have been women. And they have all kind of mentioned, for and for context, never in Dubai, but in other countries, including the UAE, some of my guests, but just not in Dubai. And they've all kind of mentioned that, like, you know, there is a, there is a bit of a feeling that they lost a little bit of their freedom or they need to be a bit more careful, but specifically because they're women. So that's really, this, it's kind of mind boggling and exciting to hear that there's this progressive take coming out of Dubai. And if it was going to come out of anywhere, it seems like it would come out of Dubai. Yes. Dubai, I would say, is the most progressive emirates. If you look at the seven emirates of UAE, it's quite chill here. And we, we're going to touch that in a bit as well. Uh, you know, what is it to be a woman here? And, uh, and what are maybe the the rules, you need to adjust to a couple of things, but it's really no big deal. And it's a fair question because the Middle East is, um, is something that tends to scare 
people off a little bit. But to put things in context, um, uh, Saudi, that's next door, I unfortunately have not been able to make my way there yet because of our dear friend COVID. It creeps in. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's opening up real fast, real, real fast. Like Riyadh is a business hub. Mm. It's massive what's going on there as well. The investments are flooding the country. I've met a couple of women entrepreneurs as well that have founded like startups, tech startups. It's, it's quite interesting to see. This is what I liked in UAE. I felt the, um, there's a lot going on. There's some growth that they're trying to attract by attracting the right talent to the country as well. And the tax incentive, let's be honest, because this is the last thing I wanted to mention as well on the why Dubai and why did I decide? It's a very long answer. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's super interesting. But, but, and why did I decide to actually set, settle in here? It's tax-free. Wow. I do not pay any tax. No one pays any tax in Dubai. How is that possible, right? Like, like that's, that's somebody listening is going, how, wait, you don't pay any tax? You don't pay any taxes to France? No. You don't pay any taxes to the UAE? I don't pay taxes to France. I'm in the process of doing all this transition because I'm not a tax resident of France anymore because I did that move. I actually have my residency visa here. I looked at my options uh, since we're talking about working remotely and the different visas that you can get in Dubai because they came up with a digital nomad visa, a remote work visa. It's a one-year visa. If you're an employee, that could work very nicely. The, the fee is not that much. It's a couple of hundreds of dollars. You need, well, maybe maybe rules have changed, but you need to earn at least, I believe it's four or $5,000 per month. So it's quite high-end. Um, but the cost of living in Dubai, and we'll touch that as well, it's not more expensive than Paris because I've lived in Paris for 10 years and it's less expensive than London, for example, if you compare to Europe. When you think about like, like cost of living, like your apartment for rent and food and your bills, things like this, it comes out to in that area, in that space of some of the major cities in the world, but not as much as say London or New York or Paris. Yes. Okay. It's, it's not what you would think because again, the image is top luxury and penthouses. And uh, you know, it makes me think of sex and the city when you see New York. Oh yeah, of course I could live in here, but that's not real New York either, you know, but, and more than happy to touch on that, uh, you know, as, as well, as well in a bit, you know, all of this combined, I was like, you know what? That's my trigger. I mean, I need to rebuild my career because it's been quite difficult. It's been a, it's been a difficult ride because of the nature of my business. Uh, working in travel, business travel and events has, I think, been one of the worst combos yeah. <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> it's a nervous laugh, actually, but you know, I'd rather, I'd better laugh about it. And I felt opportunities are going to rise here. Even if it's a remote job, I, I was feeling good here because of the weather. It's absolutely fantastic. And talking about stuff that you wouldn't think of in Dubai, there's a cycling track in the desert. You can rent a bike and you have the skyline in the background and you're in the desert. It's freaking amazing. It's so cool. Slightly different than Paris. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's very different. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I, 
I did the math. I did a personal business plan and I was like, okay, digital nomad visa was not an option for me because I couldn't meet the income, you know, requirements because of my situation. I'm, I'm very open here. You know, I think uh, sometimes it's, it's, it's nice, it's nice to be honest and just tell things as they are. This isn't like if we're on the Instagram versus reality thing, let's go for a reality. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not sugarcoated. I mean, this is, this is, these are the catalysts for many of us to make big decisions. I mean, uh, the majority of the people that come on this show went through some kind of like tribulation that, that led them to making a big change. And, and sometimes we need that trigger. And, the, and I think yes. almost always, 100%, I would say, from the looking back in hindsight, they go, I'm happy I went through that because it got me to to this point. Uh, I I went. I don't mind talking about it either. Like I went through some low points to to get to the state where I'm at right now, which which has me uh do you know doing what I really love and and living a, a life personally that I really enjoy. But it you know there were yeah. sacrifices and downsides and things like that. So yeah, that's that's a that's a nice thing. Like let's. Let's not sugarcoat it for people, you know? <laughs> no, definitely not. You know, I think sometimes you need to hit the bottom or what feels like the bottom to realize things. You know, what you say makes me think, well, obviously, uh, um, you, people won't be able to see that. But one friend gave me a book that is called Who Moved My Cheese? Who Moved My Cheese? Okay. Yes. I've not heard of this book. So it's a very easy book to read. It's It takes less than two hours. And so it says it's an amazing way to deal with change in your work and in your life. And it's the story of four different characters. Uh, they're like two mice and two little men. It's very metaphorical, but it's it kind of enlightened me in a way. They're in a maze and they're looking for cheese. Cheese being the, you know, the metaphor for what makes you happy. And out of a sudden, the cheese disappears. Somebody moved it. And you see all those four different personas acting in a different way. And it teaches you a little bit of a lesson. Like everybody makes their own interpretation of that. But I was like, yeah, somebody moved my cheese. <laughs> so now I need to go in that maze and find new cheese. Um, I love it. I really recommend everyone to everyone to read to read that book because it's 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 a great way to picture yourself like who who are you in that process with the different you know characters and what can you do about it i love this metaphor yeah because your cheese does move i mean often like we like to think of life as like so linear like there's this plan mm -hmm. and and i think especially in western society we're brought up with like you know okay here are the steps you're going to follow and it's a pretty clear path uh but that, yes. that's a and it's like a freeway it's like an express lane to success like is, is the way it's kind of sold to you. And I think, you know, often the, the road less traveled is a bit more fun to go and, uh, and a bit more exactly. scenic, right? You know, to be honest, I don't know how you feel about that, Chase, but you've also made a little bit of different choices in your career being location independent. It's a choice and it's a bold choice. So if you're even asking yourself, should I do it? The very, the very fact that you're even asking yourself the question is, yes, go for it. What do you have to lose? What This is the other question. What do you have to lose? If it's not going to work out, you'll find options. It's fine. Exactly. You know, so for those in the audience, I mean, reach out to me even by, by DM. I'm more than happy to have a quick chat with you and, and I'll get you into this location independence, you know, work, work and, and lifestyle. If one, one thing that taught me this crisis is it confirmed, it re assured my choices. But I was very challenged because I needed income as well at the same time. And I'll be honest, Dubai is not right now at the present moment you will not meet a lot of digital nomads here because the destination is not there yet. 
But like I said, give them one or two years, maybe even less, because there are startups here. There's an entire ecosystem that exists and they want to empower the location-independent lifestyle as well. So I was a bit in a situation where people uh, that I spoke to were like, but why don't you look for a job like here in Dubai? And I was like, yeah, I, I mean, I want to I want to take a look at all of my options, but I've worked very hard to try to create something I, I loved, hence my cheese that got moved. I traveled the world and the, the thought process as well of why Dubai uh, was still on the first question, by the way. Yeah, it's the best answer ever. As a show host, when you only have to prepare one question, you've just made my job super easy. So continue. Wonderful. <laughs> if you will, my lifestyle was very linked to my livelihood. When COVID hit, I lost my livelihood, but my lifestyle took a big hit. So I was in that situation where it was almost ironic because I was so happy to see remote work and all those things being on the, t on the table finally and engaging with people while my wings have just been cut because I couldn't live that life anymore. It was so strange. Mm. And I was in Dubai and was started to reflect and I was like, okay, I need cash flow. So I'm probably not going to be able to travel that much for now. Maybe it's just a pause. But I was like, think about it. Dubai, it's the middle of the world. How easy is it to get to Asia, to get to Africa? Uh, Europe, it's only six, seven hours away. I thought, you know what? This is a good strategy. Go for it and go where the wind or whatever. Go in my maze, back to my, back to my book and just explore. And at the time that we're recording this, I'm still exploring my options right now. But somehow it gives me energy. Yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, if I'm following correctly, like it sounds like, you know, you had your, you had a good life in Paris. Um, you had this job that took you around the world. You had the ability to fall in love with Colombia at some point, which I do hope we get back to. But like, you know, to have that that flexibility to even have been able to say like, yeah, I had the opportunity to fall in love with Colombia. So you traveled the world, you're living in one of the, the major cities uh, in the world, one of the most attractive places. People from all over would love to live in Paris. The C word hits and the business goes south. You know, obviously people were going through tough times with quarantines and, and for, for some people around the world, this they're just now experiencing this or they never experienced it, but but lockdowns in, in major cities in Europe like like Paris and, and where I was living where I was living, like they were harsh, intense lockdowns. It did some serious damage to people's, you know, mental health. I mean, you're just trapped inside literally for months. So yeah. You know, you hit that down, you hit that that proverbial bottom, the cheese is moved and you go to Dubai, you get a little taste of Dubai from the local standpoint and you learn about this tax incentive um, and that you can found a business there. And so you decide that's, you know, that's where I'm heading in my maze. I'm going to go give this a shot. And, and so that's sort of the summary of how you arrive to Dubai correct? And there we go. Answer number one. Oh, man. I wanted to make sure I got it right because that's, uh, I mean, that's quite a, a, it is a maze that you went through. I mean, I, I love that you brought up this book because it, it wasn't that linear line. It wasn't like Dubai, you know, you didn't work for a company that said, hey, we want to put you in Dubai and you, that was the next step in your career. You, you took some steps back to take a big step forward. And I can see you on camera now and I know you a bit outside of work. Like, you, you seem like you're in a great place. You, you seem very, very happy and very content there. Yes, ab absolutely. I mean, I, I had a great feeling when, when I came here. And like I said, I discovered uh, different aspects of the city that I didn't know. Even the food. If you're a foodie, Dubai is absolutely fantastic. You have food from the whole world and especially like the Middle Eastern food and the Asian food. And you can eat for less than eight bucks. Wow. 
I swear, it exists. It's not only the super, of course, there's fine dining and it's amazing, but you can definitely go out there without spending tons of money. You have tons of activities to do. You take your car for one hour. You are in Hata Mountains. You can hike. You can kayak. Um, there's tons of stuff to do. Fujaira, it's an Emirates, one, one hour and a half, right? It's uh, on the Indian Ocean side. You can scuba dive. It's fantastic. That's such a cool thing to say. Like, oh, it's on the Indian Ocean side. You know, like, <laughs> like a lot of people will say, like, oh, no, that's on the other side of the interstate or something like that. You're like, no, that's over there where the Indian Ocean is. We'll be right back to the show after a quick break for a note from our sponsor. This season is brought to you by my good friends over at Insured Nomads. They're the absolute best in the business when it comes to providing health, travel, and medical insurance for nomads, expats, and really just all forms of world travelers. I know insurance is often something that's overlooked when we're fantasizing about traveling the world, but it's absolutely necessity that we address this because often the policy you have in your home country isn't going to cover you while you're abroad. And it's also a requirement, as a lot of people may not realize, to actually buy private travel or expat insurance, as it's called sometimes, to obtain a visa or even enter certain countries. So fortunately, there are companies like Insured Nomads to help us with this. Not only do they have excellent coverage and great prices, but they're also providing a first-class experience with additional perks and best-in-class technology via their app. It's, a, it's an amazing experience. I can't recommend it enough. Now, this is a company that was built by world travelers for world travelers. So they know what it's like to find yourself in a difficult medical situation abroad, and they want to keep you from having that same bad experience. So the next time you're planning a trip abroad, whether it's for a week or a lifetime, check out Insured Nomads via the link in the show notes. Okay, now back to the episode. And I, w- I would love for you to clarify something. What is an emirate? And also, I guess, a bit of context for people. Like you have the United Arab Emirates, so it's a, a united clan of emirates. But I think a lot of people might not know, like, what is an emirate? An emirate is like a state in the US, if you will. So UAE, United Arab Emirates, is the country. And then there are different states. So it's a federal state. Each emirate, each slash state has somebody, some, sometimes their own rules or some specificities. But at the end of the day, it's the government and the capital city slash emirate, it's Abu Dhabi. Right. Okay. And we've had someone on the, for anybody listening that's getting interested in the UAE, we've, uh, back in season one, we had somebody on from uh, a good friend, Lorraine, from uh, who's living in Abu Dhabi. So you can learn a bit more about Abu Dhabi in season one. Um, and so is Dubai the one is it an emirate as well as a city yes absolutely and the other aspects as well you know that it, that is worth to mention is safety dubai is one of the safe i mean i think it's been actually awarded the third safest place in the world and especially as a woman it is super super safe it's so safe that let's say you sit at a cafe you're on your own i work in cafes and public spaces like probably most of us uh, and in the audience and you as well chase you have your laptop you even have a bank note your mobile on the table, you go to the washroom. I can ensure you 100% your things are never going to move. They're still going to be exactly where you left them. That's mind boggling. I can't imagine leaving my like leaving that stuff sitting there. I, it's a funny thing you mentioned because that's a real digital nomad problem. Like I try to go to a cafe. I actually work from a co-working space. I've figured out that's my best routine. I have like a dedicated desk and I go there every day. But I try to go to a cafe once a week. Like it's kind of a thing. I do my I do some creative work in a in a cafe just to really just to make myself go see a different place, get out, whatever. And the, what you just described is like a real issue when you're alone because I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, I'm at, I got to go to the bathroom. 
bathroom, but I've got my laptop here. I've got like $5,000 worth of equipment just sitting here that anybody could just come up and rob. And so I, I really find myself like like thinking about this. Uh, and uh, and so anyway, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that that, that could be comfortable because that's some real digital nomad, hashtag digital nomad problems. Absolutely. This is why I bring this up. Even we've, we've mentioned Colombia earlier. I mean, my city there is Medellin. I absolutely love it. And probably most of you even who, who listen are familiar with the bad reputation um, the city has. So, you know, same Colombia, there's a lot of cliches to be broken uh, there. Yes, it's, it's rather safe. You just need to be careful, like the basic safety rules that you would apply anywhere else other than Dubai. <laughs> That's an exception in a good way. But typically, I have an Apple Watch. I wouldn't wear my Apple Watch at night while walking in the streets, like walking the streets of Medellin. It's just basic safety stuff, especially as a woman. No problem at all. Your phone, you can, even in the metro, there's no pickpockets here. There's the, the, the it, criminality is almost zero because there's there are cameras everywhere. So they, they will get you, they will find you, and you do not want to be caught because it's super strict here. They don't joke with this. It's, it's a different level. It's funny because it, like, it sounds so pleasant until you get to that point, right? Where you're like, oh, it's just like this Pleasantville where nobody harms anybody because if you do, they will cut off your leg. <laughs> so that's, uh, but that that's really good to know. And, and why do you mention specifically as a woman? I mean, I there's some obvious reasons for that, but but I think it, there's two parts to that question, I guess. One is like, what is it about being a woman in, in Dubai particularly mm-hmm. that makes you feel, because you've mentioned this twice in two different contexts, but then also like, you know, what does that actually look like for you day to day? I mentioned it because I personally get that question a lot. And, you know, even the, whenever I was on my uh, di- pure digital nomad trips or whatsoever, I always shared my, my experiences, just stories on Insta, or I, I've done a series of vlogs as well to, that I have captured pre-COVID in Central and Latin America, and it's called Mission Nomad, to show the real experience. And I want to empower other women, young women, old women, no matter what age we are. Age, it's not even a consideration here. But women who are hesitant, because I, I also think sometimes there's too much conversation around something that doesn't re, that doesn't even need that much attention. Because it's just basic rules that you need to that you need to pay attention to, no matter where you are in the world. I lived in Paris. There were some areas of Paris I did not go there overnight, and I lived there. I don't go to an ATM at 11 p.m. no matter where I'm in the world because it's just not something I'm doing, you know. But specifically in the UAE, because there's a lot of cliches, uh, I get many questions, like especially in Dubai, do you need to cover your head? Absolutely not. It's super chill. It's you know, it's a bit like Istanbul. I don't know if you've been there. Have you been? I have not. I also had plans to go there in the <coughs> sea word got in the way. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, I actually we had we had tickets booked and and everything. If you get a chance, you will absolutely love it. The vibes in that city are awesome. Literally top of my list. I cannot wait to get into that fusion of east and west, and like literally at the epicenter of all that. I mean, it's it's just like calls to me on such a deep level. I, I can't wait to go. Yes, exactly where I was heading. Here in Dubai, just like in Istanbul, you're gonna see people being covered. You're gonna see people wearing super short skirts. You're gonna see people wearing. Um, Activewear, all in the same room. You're going to see people wearing religious, and there's a tolerance for that. No one's judging how you look as long as you're respectful. And so, one thing to bear in mind though, as a woman, I did the mistake 
uh, without knowing it. I did. I went to a public uh, building to get my driver's license. Geez, and we, we can cover that because it's it wasn't an easy journey to get the admin work done. Sure. <laughs> to be honest, I just went through the process of getting my Spanish driver's license, and that was not an easy process either. I think this this runs true for for expats uh, around the world, but maybe it was particularly yes. bad in in Dubai. I, I will be interested to hear, but yeah, please continue. <laughs> no worries. It's one of the reasons why I'm telling. Give them one or two years because I had to do all of this myself. And most people who come in Dubai have a job. So their their visa is sponsored by their employer. So they don't have to worry about the health insurance and every admin piece. I had to do it myself. So it was quite interesting. The bank account as well was an adventure. (laughs) <laughs> but we we will get there. So I went to that public institution and you, you need to be mindful of what you're wearing. You need to cover, uh, you need to wear trousers and you need to cover uh, your arms. And I forgot about it. I was wearing like a black t-shirt, but it ba- it just covered my shoulders and I didn't get in. They said, no, you can't enter. Yeah. They told me, no, you can't. You don't wear appropriate clothes. I was like, what? Does How did that make you feel? Like did, did it that affect you in any way? Yes and no, because, you know, it's not my country. So my, my view is the basic rules is to be respectful. If the rules is this, then just do this. It's your guest in that country. So you need to be mindful. And uh, I mean, it was an honest mistake and they saw it. And it was, it was so, it was so nice. The security guy, well, he saw me, uh, you know, don't even try to argue uh, again. It's not going to serve you anyway. So I was a bit frustrated. I think he saw it. And he asked me, what's wrong, madam? What's wrong? And I said, no, it's fine. It's my mistake. I was like, that's not a problem. And he had a, an abaya. Abaya is the sort of the black coat, mm-hmm. you know, the very light coat that women wear in the, in the Middle East. He just gave one to me, like, just wear this and go in and you'll be fine. I was like, that is so nice. <laughs> Thank you. And he knows you won't steal it because they'll cut off your leg if you if you do. So <laughs> your two legs. That's a two leg crime. That is a really nice element. Like I, I, you know, my wife and I went to a cathedral one time. I can't even remember what city it was. in. I think it was in, in, in Italy. And mm-hmm. she wasn't able to enter the cathedral to see it, you know, just to not not to go to a service or anything, but just to see it as like a tourist attraction. And and um, she wasn't able to enter, but they were not very kind about it. They were like really rude, yeah. actually, like made her feel like like less than because she had dressed a certain way. Meanwhile, I was wearing shorts and a T-shirt and I was you know, perfectly capable to go in. And it, and it really put a damper on the day for us because it was like, you know, why does it doesn't make any sense at all that a man can walk into this cathedral in shorts and a T-shirt and a, and a woman yeah. can't. And uh, and I just remember, I mean, that affected her and I don't really get it why that's a why that's a thing but I do really appreciate your approach to to saying you know I'm a guest here the rules are the rules and uh and and fighting it isn't going to do anything in this in this moment so I love your approach to this and and just understanding that you know you have to adapt a little bit um so that's that's good perspective yeah I think you know I I hear I mean, I, I got lots of questions, even from people. Can you even drive? So yeah, of course. It's a, as a woman, it does lead to many, many, many questions. You know, for example, uh, Dubai creates a lot of opportunities. I I became a cycling instructor actually here in Dubai. Uh, it, it just happened. I'm a huge fitness junkie. Yeah. I went to the gym, and again, here all the instructors are expats, most of them, and uh, they do this as a side job because. They, they just follow their passion. And they saw I was really committed and were like, hey, don't you want to become an instructor? And I was like, nah, come on, no. 
Uh, and then it took three weeks. You know, they, every week they asked me, hey, are you sure? Are you sure? And in the end, I, I ended up doing it. Um, so we're all considered freelancers. You don't get much money. You earn probably 40 bucks per class. But I see that, well, A, it put me in the right mental space. I needed that energy. I needed this. B, I get paid for a hobby. So that's pretty cool. Um, and C, it's just so easy. Um, in France, I am not allowed to teach by law. You can't teach a cycling class? <laughs> no. I have an international certification from Les Mills that, is a, uh, that, that produces all those programs, those workouts. But in France, you need a degree on the top of the certification. So this is what I love with Dubai. If you're an entrepreneur, it's easier to try things out. If you're good, they will hire you. I didn't even sign a contract with any gym. They pay you at the end of the month. It's quite honest. Um, it's very digital though as well. They, I mean, they keep a digital track of pretty much everything. So it's quite honest in a way, you know, cameras, digital might sound a bit scary. Uh, <laughs> I reckon, I realized that, you know, people might be like, okay, I guess it's also one of the reasons why it's so safe. So yeah. you cannot really have one without the other. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Crime is a real thing. People are, there are bad people yeah. in the world. Uh, so, you know, you have to have something in place to, to stop that. Um, it's uh, and, and so it's really interesting because you have founded a business, you, in Dubai, and you this gives you uh, access to, uh, well, I guess the visa actually gives you access, which we should talk about a little bit to to live there. But because you have this business founded in Dubai, you don't have to pay taxes uh, there because they don't have taxes, and you don't have to pay your taxes because you're a tax resident in Dubai. You don't have to pay taxes back in France. So that is all a really cool element. But also the fact that creating a business, being and also as you mentioned, you know, being a woman in the Middle East, being able to create a business, actually getting a tax advantage because you're an entrepreneurial woman, and getting to do something that you love and being a cycling instructor. All of this was really easy. It doesn't sound like it was very bureaucratic. I'm sure it wasn't super easy. I'm sure there were challenges. But I mean, you were able to do all this and you navigated it on your own, it sounds like, which is pretty awesome. It was uh, a maze <laughs> a little bit, uh, but I don't regret it. But, you know, if you asked me one year ago, uh, I mean, if you told me that I would be doing what I do right now, I would never have believed you. Um, so things just happen. You know, I, I strongly believe... There are two aspects to this. A, you need to follow your guts. It's very important. Follow your instinct. If you want to do something, do it and give, give yourself the right resources to do it. Fear can be a blocker. Everybody is afraid. I, I'm even afraid now because I'm still navigating the maze, but it's just part of the game. Um, and the second aspect is sometimes you meet people at a given time in your life and it brings you opportunities. Um, it triggers something in you or they inspire you, but something happens. Um, and I guess I have a combination of both that happened to me. I could share, I could share a similar story really quickly. This is mm -hmm. about you, not about me, but uh, I, this, this resonated with me, what you just said. So <laughs> I'd my, love to hear it. My, my wife and I came to Spain on the first trip that we came. Like I'd been to Spain and done a little bit of sightseeing in the major cities, but I hadn't really spent a lot of time here till I don't know, maybe seven years ago or something something like that. And we came to Spain uh, for three months and we traveled through and we spent a lot of time in the South and 
we really didn't have a great time. Like it was fine, but it wasn't great. It was we we okay. had some challenges, we had some some ups and downs, and we only had three months, which might sound like a long time to a lot of people, but it it went by super fast, and we hadn't really had the best time. And so we we ended up buying like a a camper van, like an old VW camper van, and we renovated the inside, and and you get what you pay for. We paid very little, and it was it was it was a piece of shit to be honest. It was it was fell apart and caused a lot of stress. We ended up like it ended up being a terrible experience in the camper van. We tried to drive it across Spain and Europe and we didn't make it 45 minutes out of the city before the engine blew up. So rough, rough, rough go in Spain, right? But on that journey, we broke down in a little town in the middle of nowhere. We actually had to be towed to another town, which was also a small town. And we get there and they say, yeah, we can help you fix it, but it's going to take a week because we have to get apart from another play, blah, blah, blah. So we were like kind of trapped in this little town, which in this industrial area, which seemed terrible. And we're like, we're going to be here for a week. Like, what are we going to do? We were literally sleeping in the van in the mechanic shop that was broken at one point. So I, I say all this to say what ended up happening was really beautiful. We ended up meeting a couple there who are still very close friends to this day. They oh. are a local couple that, uh, and our Spanish was really, really bad at this point. Um, we ended up becoming really good friends with them. They took us, they toured us around the city. We ended up discovering the side of the city that was just beautiful and and really enjoyed it. Got to know the locals. Their family ended up taking us in saying, you can come stay with us um, in our home. And we ended up being friends for forever. They ended up telling us, hey, if you ever come back to Spain, I think you guys would really like Valencia. And so when we came back to Spain, we had to choose where we wanted to live. We got a visa for Spain, but we had to pick a specific location. We chose Valencia and, and we've kind of built a life here because of this. So it is who, you know, these connections that you meet along the way, following your gut, like all the advice that you just gave is so real for anybody that's considering a move abroad. Like do follow your gut, do reach out to your network. You'll be surprised who you meet and who can give you advice and help along the way. And and you'll inevitably, you'll probably end up in a place where you, uh, where, where you really you know, feel at home and, and, and it, if nothing else, you'll get a great adventure out of it. Absolutely. Even the, we all have some bad stories as well to share. <laughs> Sometimes I'm sure Chase has been your case as well. You're doing things like, why am I even doing this? Yeah. I just want to be home right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, totally. When I'm, when I'm spending like days, I mean, not day, like hours and hours each day for, for weeks on end sometimes, doing visa stuff and figuring like trying to figure out how to get a more you know oh try to go get a mortgage as an expat you know like all the like it's hard enough to pay your taxes in your home country try to figure it out in another country you wonder sometimes like why am i doing this to my like this is a little bit tough <laughs> i had that when i tried to open my bank account it was so complex and, and so cumbersome I, I remember i called a friend and i said i'm done i'm going back I'm done i tried it's not working yeah, it's not working out. I was crying out of, you know, like frustration against who I don't even know, uh, you know, but s sometimes your emotions uh, take control. And then she was like, hey, you know what? Just sleep on it. We talk tomorrow. You'll be in a different mental space. No, you don't understand. So, you know, and, and it just it just makes things worse when people tell you to calm down. <laughs> Absolutely. But but then you came you come back to your senses and my my ultimate question has always been okay what would you do now in your old apartment in France? This is this is what keeps I mean this is what keeps me going because I know that if I wanted to go for a career change 
I would struggle because in France, it's this difficult. Could be remote. Uh, I could be. I'm, I'm location independent anyway. But I'm happy when I'm in discovery mode. I'm happy when I'm surrounded by some buzz. When I meet people. When it's an international environment. When I can travel around. And I would feel stuck. So. You know, this is also a tip. Um, we're all going through some difficult periods, but ask yourself the question, what if? If you would be back home, what would you actually do? Would you be happy? That's the question. Yeah. Would you be happy? The, the grass is always greener. And like when you, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. So when you put yourself over there and you actually think about what would you be doing, you your vantage point changes completely and you go, okay, like it, it's not so bad because there's challenges everywhere. And, you know, just because you move to one place doesn't mean the challenges disappear. So if you go back home, there will be challenges there. I'm, I'm really curious. I, I realize we're, uh, we're running up against time. I know you have uh, important things to do beyond just talk to me about life in Dubai. So I, I want to ask real quick if you can just describe sort of the the general process um, without going into all the details. I always tell my guests, you don't have to be a, a visa expert on this show, but just describe the process a bit for somebody who's might be coming from your same uh, background in the sense of, I want to move to Dubai. I want to try this. I want to follow in the steps of Arli. How does one get started and what can they kind of expect in that process? I think you have three options in front of you, depending on uh, the situation you're in. If you're an employee, like if you're an employee, if you, if you have a salary, you can either find a job in Dubai, like in, like locally, a, a local job and get sponsored by the office, by the company, because this is how they, they have a, the immigration policy in the UAE is very different from other, other parts of, of, of the world. You need to have your visa sponsored, bottom line. Just let me just rewind before going into the details. If you do not have your visa sponsored by a company, you cannot uh, stay in Dubai and you cannot obtain the residency visa. That's very important to know. So I guess as an employee, you have those two options. Either um, your company sends you here and you opt for the, there's the digital nomad visa. So it, it can last up to one year, but maybe double check that information because things move quite fast. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to go into the deep details because maybe things will have changed, but it's going to cost you a couple of hundred of dollars. And uh, you're, you're still eligible to pay taxes in your home country because this is really a remote work visa. And you need then just to provide some proof that you are employed, like a, a work contract whatsoever, and you need to, to provide proof of the level of income. First option, remote work visa. You stay employed. Uh, you just work from Dubai. You pay taxes at home. Second option, you become local employee, but you need to find a company that's going to sponsor your visa here in the UAE. So you become a tax resident in the UAE, meaning zero tax, but you, you need to find a, that sponsor. Sec third option is the one I did because I'm, I'm self-employed, but you can do it if you have a team as well. You buy your you, you, I mean, you buy your visa in a sense that you buy a business license to open a company and with the business license comes the visa and you can choose a certain number of visas. If you have employees, for example, you, your own company can sponsor your visa and your employees or coworkers visas as well. And then you become a resident. And important last thing to mention, a resident is considered your visa, your residency visa is canceled if you're staying more than six consecutive months outside of the country. This is a pretty standard policy with, with these expat 
style visas or digital nomad visas. They want you if you're if you're going through this process, they want you to be here. And uh, and so don't uh, don't expect to just get this and then say, okay, I'm just going to use it for paying taxes and then or not paying taxes and then going going somewhere else. So they they want to see that you're using it. Yes. And one tip, if you're opting for so they are freelancer visa, but it just gives you an authorization to work. It's not a business license and you have a proper company uh, that you can found which gives you a, uh, like the uh, the business license. Op- opening up a company account takes some time. You're going to go through a lot of different processes and pretty heavy investigation because they just pass an anti-money laundering laws and it's pretty harsh. But push through. Uh, this is where this is the moment where I, I lost it and I cried. But push through. I made it. It's open. It's here. This is the step that's not going to be an easy one. But just so you know, prepare yourself. And also don't be a money launderer. Yeah, yeah, that's that one. Ideally, me. you're not a money launderer. Exactly. What what is the timeline like roughly? Like how long would you give someone to to do this? Two to three months tops. Two to three months. Okay. The company license uh, took less than a month. And then the visa process took a little bit more time because there are several steps. So you create the entity first and then apply for the visa using the entity as the, is the, is your entity sort of employing you? Is that the, is that the case? Yes. So you're sort of sponsoring yourself? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that's how it works. Cool. And I have a three, a three year visa and my business license has to be renewed every year. Okay. And is... Would you say that the process was relatively straightforward in terms of like, you know, going into it, what you're going to have to do? Or there were, when you look at that, there's a checklist, right? Like when I look at my visa, there's a checklist. But I will tell you that that checklist is only, it's more like guidelines than rules. Like there's a lot of surprises along the way. Was it the same experience for you? Definitely. Yeah. Th- there is a quite clear checklist for the business license part and everything was digital for me. I actually did it in Emirates. So the state just near Dubai because it cost me uh, half the price. Uh, and I got the discounts. The visa, the, the the pure visa process is has more surprises. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So so there's sort of two processes here. There's the there's the business creation. You ha- you're creating the entity, and then there's the visa process. Yes. Are there any resources, websites, uh, bloggers you follow, pay, uh, Facebook groups, anything you would recommend someone who wants to follow in your footsteps that they go to? That's the tricky part. There's not much out there yet. There are tons of companies that are going to facilitate that for you. If you have the budget, I would strongly recommend you to do it. Mm-hmm. I I was a little bit tight, so I decided to do it myself. I, I personally went for the organization called Rakez. It's R-A-K-E-Z. And it's it's the equivalent of the Chamber of Commerce of uh, Ras Al Khaimah Emirates. So it's just one hour ride from Dubai. They're very clear. It's pretty straightforward. And even though it's a different Emirate, the process is very similar uh, in Dubai. Uh, Another thing to consider, depending on your activity, uh, what you're doing, for me personally, it doesn't matter because my clients don't really care if the billing address is in Dubai or in a different Emirate. But some industries, especially if you have local clients, if you're a freelancer, for example, depending if you're a startup, if you're in tech or if you have investments or whatsoever, in the Middle East, it adds a lot of credibility to have your HQ and your license in Dubai. Yeah. 
Makes sense. It does, it does make sense. If you're hiring one of those third-party services, do you have a rough estimate on what that might cost? Is it $100, $1,000, $10,000? Do you have any idea? It's going to be thousands. Thousands, okay. Um, like I paid to be very transparent with you. I did it all myself and I paid the equivalent of $5,000 for the entire process. For the whole process, doing it yourself. And so yeah, that's yes. just like fees and, and, you know, yeah, basically fees Absolutely. that you pay along the way. Okay. It, it will cost you, uh, if you do it in Dubai and through a company, I think it's minimum 10,000. 10,000, that you would, like you would end up spending 10,000 in total. It, it's, it does sound like a lot, but if you think, let's say you have a, you know, a $50,000 income and you're paying 20% in taxes, that's your, there's your 10,000 right there if you, if you can end up being tax-free and one, so you can pay yourself back. Yes. In, in total honesty, if you can afford it, go for it because I got gray hair uh, in the process. I mean, I've said this on the show like a million times, so sorry for anybody listening that's like tired of hearing me say this, but outsource the things you're not good at and outsource these processes if you can. That is a hefty price to pay, I, I will admit. Um, but I've been through multiple visa processes in multiple countries and, and they're not easy and they're bureaucratic and complicated and antiquated. Hiring a local, even just to like, sometimes you can hire somebody that's just kind of like a guide that's not, you know, and, and pay much less. They're not going to do everything for you, but you can you can ask them questions. They can tell you who to contact. They can connect you to, to people and kind of point you in the right direction all the way up to services where they'll literally just do it all for you. So big fan of outsourcing this. I even outsourced just recently. I've been, I've renewed my visa here multiple times. I tried to do it on my own. And I thought, oh, I know how to do this now. I speak the language. I know the process. Got 80% of the way there and ended up outsourcing outsourcing the rest because I couldn't do it. It was too complicated. So yeah, if you, if you can do it. Especially in the Middle East, because I mean, everything's in both English and Arabic. So the language barrier is not really a thing. So that, that's the great part. However, Middle East is a very service-oriented society. They love, so it could accelerate it accelerate the process and it could do you amazing favors if you have somebody that speaks Arabic. Because it's just a phone call away. You cannot do it. I'm actually thinking about taking Arabic lessons. I'm not nowhere close to being, you know, fluent, but I think it's going to serve me. But yeah, especially in the Middle East, it's very service oriented. Very good to know. And actually, I was going to ask you about the language barrier. So in your day to day life, you don't feel uh, that, that not speaking Arabic, it, it doesn't hold you back. No. However, from a business perspective, I think it's going to give you a massive asset. If you can even just throw a few words every now and then, just for bonding, you know, uh, building rapport, things like that, it will serve you. Yeah. So, But is English the, uh, like you have 80% of the population as expats. So is English sort of the common language, yeah. with, obviously amongst those expats? Yeah. You know, even the locals, I mean, you, you, you can see them. You, it's a little bit different from other countries because it's not the same interaction you would get with locals as you have in Spain, for example. Yeah. It, it's completely different. But I see them at the gym again. <laughs> Sorry to bring this up all the time, but it, it, it's kind of a place where everybody breaks their barriers, you know, because you're just like not in, in all your glory, sweating and doing your thing. And sometimes I just throw some Arabic words that, I, that they taught me when I teach and they just love it. It's really going to help you. And like I said, you're guests in a country. So I think it's, it's the least you can do just to try to accommodate a little bit. 
Absolutely. Um, to their own language. I, I totally agree. And I, I'm curious, actually, kind of to end on that note, I'm very, I would love to hear your perspective on that. Like, do the locals almost feel like guests when they're the minority, when you're you're talking 80, 20, 80% of the population being expats? Or do do they still feel like, do they feel like they've lost the, the city and the culture? Or it does is the culture so strong that it remains in the expats become kind of have to fold into that as opposed to the opposite? So there are several aspects to that. So first of all, I believe that with the ambitions that the country has, and even different countries in the Middle East, I include Saudi because they're going to grow super fast. Qatar has to some extent a similar policy, but different story when it comes to being a woman there. What I Just to put things in context, what I said earlier was Dubai. I wouldn't know what it is in the other countries. They know that they need people from the outside because they, they need the expertise, they need the knowledge, because they might not have all of this internally. They have huge ambitions. So they also need people to meet those objectives because when you want volumes, you need, you, you need people as well. So first of all, I think they're very open. In my opinion, but this, this is just my opinion, they are more open-minded here than anywhere else in the world because they welcome us and all of them by default are bilingual. And I can tell you Arabic couldn't be more opposite to English. <laughs> yeah, literally. And I have my best time and I'm not even a native English speaker, but this is so much fun. Just as a side note, they spell English like you pronounce it. So my, my favorite game is to spot the typos or to spot the Arabic English everywhere. So I take pictures. I post them on Instagram. I have a, I have a highlight that I, that I called, uh, pardon my French. I called it what the fuck Dubai. And I share all those oddities. It's, it's hilarious. I, I just love it. <laughs> Can I just say you added a little bit of real pure joy to this conversation by hearing a French person say, pardon my French. Uh, that, that was, that was really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for that. And uh, I, I can't wait to go to your Instagram highlight and, and check this out. This was so fun, Aurelie. I, I like thoroughly enjoyed this, getting to know your story and, um, and a bit more about Dubai. I learned a ton. I'm sure people listening did as well. Where can people uh, connect with you in case they are interested in learning more or, or following your work or, or just your life abroad? So I'm basically, if you Google my name, you're probably going to see all my different uh, social media handles popping. Instagram, probably one of the easiest way to reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn if you want to connect on a more professional basis. Um, I have a Facebook page. I use it a bit less and a website that needs a clear update. So if you have uh, tips, recommendations on how to update it, I am all ears. Oh, again, uh, I'm a fan of outsourcing my weaknesses. So that's the kind of thing that I outsource <laughs> as well. But but listeners take note, Arlie needs some help with her website. So Arlie, thank you so, so much. Au revoir. And I hope we will see each other again soon. We'll link to all of that in the, uh, in the show notes so people can find you with an easy click. Thank you again for joining the show. Thank you so much and hasta luego. <laughs> Gracias. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in today from wherever you are in the world. Once again, I'm Chase and this has been another episode of About Abroad. For those of you wondering how you can best support the show, I have made it super simple for you. Just go over to the show notes of the episode that you just finished listening to and click on one of the two following links aboutabroad.com slash newsletter to get our monthly newsletter, no spam, guaranteed, or ratethispodcast.com slash aboutabroad, where you can quickly and easily leave a review for the show. It's not just important to me, it also helps more wanderers just like you 
find us. Finally, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, and we will see you again next week. Thanks again. Hasta luego, amigos.